This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. One of the great delights of spring is the flowering trees. I love looking out for the almost shy beauty of dogwoods. The intensity of red bud blooms somehow manages to take me by surprise every year. But oh, the cherry blossoms. I mean, they're extra special. The blooms are profuse and delicate. And even more than that, they are loaded with symbolic meaning. What you might call cherry tree diplomacy has been a hallmark of Japanese-American friendship for more than a century. And here in Nashville, hundreds of flowering cherries have been planted as a physical reminder of our ties to Japan. Later this hour, we'll take a look at Music City's connection to the land of the rising sun and how that's being celebrated with tomorrow's Cherry Blossom Festival. But first, this week, roughly 100 people showed up to speak at a meeting of the Franklin Board of Mayor and Aldermen. The issue on the table was whether the annual Pride Festival celebrating the LGBTQ community should be allowed the permits to use a public park. Now, permit discussions are usually the most boring part of any city council meeting, but this one was far from boring. And it's just the latest in a string of community conflicts over Pride festivals and drag shows across Tennessee. Reporter Matt Masters has been covering the Franklin Pride story for the news. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Matt, Franklin is one of those places where these culture wars have really come to a head at city meetings. And you've covered a lot of them. What was the scene like this time? When I first walked into the um, to the city hall there, um, it was pretty packed. You really couldn't even maneuver um, to the door. I got there about uh, 20 or 30 minutes before the public comment section was going to start. Um, it was a good mix of supporters and people who were against uh, the Pride Festival. Um, it was pretty calm. Um, you know, it was, it was very civil. Um, people were just kind of standing around waiting for things to happen. It was several hundred people throughout uh, City Hall um, in the hallways and in the, in the, um, uh, the rotunda or the, the lobby area. So it was even beyond capacity then. Yes, yes. And they had the fire marshal who was only allowing a certain amount of people in the actual uh, BOMA chambers and, and uh, 106 people signed up to do the actual public comments. How does that compare to some of these other meetings that you've covered on these contentious issues? We, especially in Williamson County, we've seen an increase in, in public engagement and co- public comment sections. Um, but this was, you know, on another level for sure. What stood out to you about the things that people were saying? There's a lot of fear in the community. Um, and, and this isn't just Franklin. This is throughout Williamson County. Um, there's a lot of people who've uh, moved into Williamson County recently. And um, there's a lot of fears based off what people have seen or allegedly seen or allegedly heard happening at Pride events throughout the country. Um, and a lot of those comments were not necessarily based off of uh, things that, that I've seen and other reporters have seen at specifically at Franklin Pride uh, last year. The mayor ended up casting a tie-breaking vote. What did he have to say about the issue? So all of the uh, BOMA members had, had expressed uh, concerns over um, the drag performances that happened last year. Um, and the mayor specifically um you know, he did vote to approve it, but he kind of gave a warning and essentially said, you know, this is your shot to to not mess it up and 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 said that if if it wasn't, uh, you know, if they violated the city's trust this time, that he would work to make sure that the event never happened again. Just like Franklin Pride, you're done if this is it, right? Yes. Now, these 
What did you make of that comment? I think the, the mayor's obviously in a, in a tough position. Uh, last year, uh, the city issued a proclamation in support of uh, Franklin Pride and support of the LGBTQ community as a whole. Um, and he's obviously uh, saw the public pressure right there in front of him. Um, but, you know, he supported it. And I think he was in a position to, uh, you know, show that there, that he at least would uh, uh, hear the, the citizens who were against it. That word trust is interesting. Of course, there has been talk about a decency policy. Yes. Um, what is your impression of what what is really meant by trust? What is, what is being gotten at there? Well, that was thrown out a lot throughout uh, the public comments uh, that, you know, trust had been violated uh, from the community, um, specifically that um, community decency policy, um, which uh, has been deferred until uh, May. That could potentially impact um, and prevent any organization or a festival that were to to violate that policy, if it passes, could prevent it from happening um, in the future, I believe it was for, for two years. Um, again, if that's passed in, in the way it is. Um, but there's definitely um, a, a large segment of the population who are at least vocal that they don't trust the organization or what pride really is about. And that's something that really started boiling up, bubbling up last year after last year's pride. What, what was the reaction that the community started to show after pride last year? So last year, I believe it was only two people who actually did formal complaints about the Pride Festival. There was a, a, a lot of outrage on social media, as that is, you know, that's kind of where everything lives now. Um, and that has continued to grow um, throughout. There's a lot of activist groups uh, within Williamson County, uh, both progressive activist groups and conservative ones. Uh, the conservative groups have really been pushing hard uh, throughout the past few months uh, to champion this cause of preventing pride. Um, and that's, um, that's been a, a big part of that. It seems to be a striking turn though. I mean, last year for the pride festival, the mayor issued a proclamation in support of the event. What does this turn of, in kind of public comment and, and public reaction say about Williamson County? I think there's a lot of people in Williamson County who are Again, they're afraid of what could happen, not mm -hmm. necessarily what has happened or what will happen. And there's a lot of people who who just didn't attend Pride, um, but again, have seen photos um, that, that either we have published or videos that went out on social media. And again, there's a lot of information that people are gathering from, from other festivals. And, and, you know, a lot of the criticism has been that this is a part of a larger uh, effort uh, nefarious effort in, in, in their opinions. It, you know, speaking of larger effort, I mean, this is something that this is the discussion that we've seen, not just in Franklin, but in multiple Tennessee communities, especially over the last year. When you hear about these debates happening elsewhere in the state after, you know, covering this so closely, how do things compare? What are the the similarities or the differences that you're noticing well, there's obviously a lot of uh, political power in Williamson County. Um, it's definitely a conservative enclave, um, but there's a, a lot of diversity there. Um, in Williamson County and in Franklin Pride, specifically what I saw last year was was a, a fairly tame uh, Pride celebration, especially compared to uh, the scale and the types of performances um, that you may have seen in Nashville or, or other areas. Um, and... I think that there is a lot of people 
who, again, are just they're just unsure about what they even think about pride or, or LGBTQ community issues to begin with. You know, there's clearly a lot of fear on display, a lot of anger. Is anyone making actual threats? So two of the Franklin aldermen who kind of led the charge against Franklin Pride, um, Alderman Berger and Hansen, both said several times throughout the meeting and had said previously that they had received uh, threats. Um, I talked to both of them after the meeting, and, and they had kind of said some details about what these threats were. But I talked to them after the meeting to get a little more information um, and specifically asked them if they had filed police reports. Um, and I confirmed with the Franklin Police Department that uh, Alderman Hansen had filed a police report uh, last, at the end of last month. Alderman Berger had not. These were uh, threatening phone calls, um, kind of vague in, in exactly what those were. Well, I mean, who did they seem to be coming from? I mean, are they threatening... It was something will happen if you allow pride or if you don't allow pride. Yes. So saying saying that, um, you know, you need to you need to uh, approve pride or they weren't, uh, you know, they weren't going to be happy with them. And, you know, that's uh, again, one of the aldermen did uh, file a police report. Um, one of those uh, Hanson said that she received a phone call that said, quote, you will be immortalized in death. Wow. What are you hearing from Pride organizers? How safe do they feel? So Pride organizers, um, you know, kind of fall back on the idea that they are they are working with police to ensure that they have a, a safe Pride festival. And that's kind of just been their, their standard line there. And, and of course, they're they're making sure that uh, police are, are going to be able to take care and, and secure the situation and, and you know, for public safety in general, just as they would in any other festival. Matt Masters covers Williamson County for the news. Thanks for being here, Matt. Thank you. And thank you for your reporting. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn some of the history behind Nashville's Cherry Blossom Festival, which is coming up this weekend. Have you been? What's your favorite thing about it? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. is the Kaminari Taiko of Houston, a traditional Japanese drumming group that comes all the way from Texas every year to perform at the annual Nashville Cherry Blossom Festival. The festival is a celebration of Japanese culture from music to food to martial arts and has been held here in Nashville every year since 2009. And my next guests help make it happen. Terry Vose sits on the board of the Cherry Blossom Festival and is this year's MC. And 
Aaron Rickford is with the Dojo of Nashville. One Erwin Rickford is with the Dojo of Nashville, one of the festival's presenters. Thank you both for being here. Hi, how are you? And welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's start at the beginning. Terry, why does Nashville have a cherry blossom festival? Yes, great question. We have a cherry blossom festival because the Consulate General of Japan relocated from New Orleans to Nashville um, right around that time. And we wanted to do something that actually brought in the community. And so a large group of us, you know, including the Consulate General of Japan, the Japan America Society of Tennessee, uh, sister cities, you know, um, we came together to create um, a committee and bring this festival to not only Nashvilleans, but, you know, the entire state. And now we've seen many people uh, from neighboring states come and visit us every year. Why was it important to the consulate to engage with the people of Nashville around Japanese culture? Definitely. So, you know, I think for all of us, the economy, you know, Japan, one of, you know, number one foreign direct investment in Tennessee. And I think sometimes you'd see the business talk, but there's so much enrichment with culture. And so with the Japanese, you know, like language school and all of the individuals who live here, we wanted to bring that to the forefront so people could celebrate together and have that international, you know, cultural exchange. What was the initial response like from the community back at the very beginning of the festival back in 2009? Oh my goodness. I definitely say um, it was wonderful. And I think that where it is today, um, we are also pleased, but it was, you know, the thousands of people that came when we first started to now, you know, we welcome over 40,000 each year. So we thank those that believed in the festival and supported it, you know, um, from the beginning. Now, Erwin, how did you first get involved with the Cherry Blossom Festival? Um, back in... 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. Um, like at the very beginning. Yeah, but for, yeah, right from the very where, where, what Terry was just saying. It, it, at that time, there was only a few thousand, and now there's thousands that come. But back then, um, I saw that Nashville had a cherry blossom festival, and and I I was um, part of a school, an Aikido school, a martial arts school, and that's a Japanese-based martial arts. And I thought, well, they need somebody to demonstrate stuff, you know, martial arts that are that's um, that's part of the Japanese culture. And so I, I volunteered our group and we, and we would demonstrate. And then a couple of years later, the, the festival people were just asking me, hey, can you organize something? So, so ever since then, I've been organizing it. Can you tell me a little bit more about why is it so important to include a martial arts demonstration in a festival like this? Well, uh, culturally, if you look back, you, you know, everybody knows about the samurai. And then uh, for, for a long period of time, Japan was a... Where, where groups, uh, uh, it was a feudal system mm-hmm. where groups would fight each other. And so martial arts became prominent back, back then. Uh, different groups would study how to, how to combat, how to, you know, how to do warfare. And uh, different schools would pop up, and there were famous schools that, that developed over time. And, um, of course, you know, now we, when we look at it as swordsmanship and, um, and with spears and bows and arrows, and then... And, but more modern times has evolved where we're not using those weapons and it becomes hand-to-hand. And so now modern, modern versions of those martial arts uh, are pretty much empty-handed with, without the weapons. What can people expect to see in your demonstration this year? So we've got a variety of, of demonstrators. Um, since uh, really uh, uh, Japanese martial arts is, is weapons-based, but you know it's, it's popular that it's the, the empty-hand karate, things like that. But we've got we've got uh, several groups. Um, Kokoro Budokai is coming. They are um, a sword-based uh, school where they, they'll, sh- they'll demonstrate how 
how you use the sword. And I think there'll be some tamishigiri, which is cutting mats, and they'll demonstrate how they do that. So the mats are the mats are are wetted, and sometimes they have bamboo in it to simulate body parts. Right. Oh, so wow. so when they are able to cut through that, you're able to to cut through a human. So that's how they used to practice, at least back back then, and still now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there's also a we have a sumo club, and the sumo club will be the first ever that we have somebody representing sumo, oh, and they're okay. local. Uh, I think it was started in Antioch High School. Um, I haven't met them yet, so... It's actually so, my friend that started right. it. Oh, really? Yes, uh, it is, Nathaniel Hudson. That's awesome. I mean, their love for sumo, and I think because we have the festival, people can actually see themselves yeah. and create this and seeing high schoolers, young people, teachers, yeah. you know, supporting that. And I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. When I heard that they were coming, I was, I was, I was like, yes, we got to get them on. And sumo is a, a, a lot of fun to watch. I don't, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen a, um, a basho on, on no, I only get to see it on YouTube, of course. I've mm -hmm. never seen it live, but it's pretty exciting. It, it's it, amazing. Wow. So this will yeah. be a brand new treat for you yeah, as for well as for all yeah. the audience. So Terry, besides martial arts, what have become other kind of mainstay events of the festival? Oh my goodness. So if you go to the festival, you have to find the candy man. Okay. Yeah. He's Who's great. the candy man? He is so incredible and he does traditional like Japanese candy and he wonders the festival. So I love it because you just search for him and, um, you know, get to kind of experience what it's like. I feel like when I went to Japanese, you know, festivals and Matsuris in Japan um, and that excitement. So that's really special. We're really excited to bring, um, you know, and have the Kent Family Magic Circus. They are kind of like in the center um, of the square. So find their entire family, um, you know, entertaining everyone. And we're really excited this year. So it's really funny because Lily Saito, she actually performed on um, Irwin stage uh, on the Union Street stage, and we're bringing her to the main stage. And she is a company dancer with the National Ballet. Oh, wow. So holding all this together uh, is you. <laughs> you serve <laughs> as the festival of MC. Uh, what does that involve? Oh, my goodness. I think that, um, you know, when you're the MC, you're also the hype person, um, you know, and you have to, I think, um, get people ready and informed on who is performing. I think that's what's so special. Um, you know, when you read the different names like on your programs um, and, you know, but who are they? And so it's my role, I think, in sharing that information. And then in the morning, I get to do the ceremony. So Consul General will be there, Mayor John Cooper, and we get to kind of welcome everyone to the festival. There's usually a check presentation, you know, with the national, you know, international airport. So I think that's so important in that role of it takes all of us. It takes, you know, elected officials. It takes, you know, community members um, and to celebrate like Japanese culture and the artists that live here and nearby that come to celebrate with us. Terry's got the hard job. She's got the, the big stage with <laughs> lots of people. <laughs> If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona, in for your host, Galila Ekelona. We're talking about our city's annual celebration of Japanese culture, the Nashville Cherry Blossom Festival. Now, one thing we haven't addressed yet is that neither of you is Japanese. That's right. <laughs> so I'm curious, Erwin, how did you get interested in Japanese culture? Um, it, it really, um, my, my past is a little bit funny. Uh, I, I used to get in fights when I was little. Mm. And then when I got old enough to, to have a, I had a job in a car and I, I wanted to learn how to do that better. And I started in, uh, in, in martial arts and I've been in various martial arts since I was, since I was 17. I'm, I'm 58 now. So, so I'm about 40, 40 something years. But, um, but I, I've 
I've always been uh, attracted to anything that was um, through the martial arts that were Japanese oriented. So, for example, I, I also study an old Japanese art called a Katori Shinto Ryu, and that, their roots are 600 years old. So, oh, wow. it's, so it's, it's not your YMCA karate dojo, right? So it's, a, it's, it's an actual uh, samurai art. That's what they taught the samurai back, back when they were feuding. So, um, so you learn not just sword, not just empty hand, but you learn other, other combat weapons that they used to use back then. And I understand that's kind of the open the door for you to, yes. to just n- learn other things about the culture and right. become interested. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's your family's reaction been? Well, I, it, it's interesting because um, my, my mother's father was a mayor of a, of a city in the Philippines, and he was, he was captured and executed by Japanese in World War II. Mm. And at one point, it, she was kind of kidding, but, um, but also kind of serious. At, this is a long time ago. She, she asked me, why are you so interested in the, in, the, the, in the Japanese stuff? Because, you know, they killed your grandfather. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, so, that's a lot. It, yeah. So it, it was... It was interesting, but uh, I, I I can't remember my direct answer. But I th- you know I think we just kind of worked that out. <laughs> How about you, Terry? How did you get interested in Japan? Yes, yeah, so mine started in college. So my major was international relations, and I had to pick a foreign language. And so um, you know my friend and I were looking at the roster, and Vietnamese was not offered. Um, you know I'm, I'm Vietnamese, and so we looked on the list, and we both decided on Japanese. And it changed both of our lives. And that moment there changed everything for me. Um, I studied Japanese in undergrad. I ended up going and studying abroad um, at Kansai Gaidai University in Osaka, or actually Hirakata. Um, And then that, you know, parlayed into uh, interning at the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo. And then um, I got to, after I finished my undergrad, I moved back to Japan, studied, uh, I worked for the Japanese government. And that's actually what brought me here. So I came to Nashville to work for the Consulate General of Japan. And, you know, I think it's so special that that language, that decision, that one day studying Japanese has um, enriched my life so greatly. And I have so much respect and love for Japanese culture. And truly, it's helped me to uncover my own love for my own culture, um, you know, and wanting to dig deeper um, within my own Vietnamese like heritage. What role does the Cherry Blossom Festival play for that broader Asian American community here in Nashville? Oh, <laughs> uh, I I see a lot of uh, well, I don't I don't know if I said this earlier. Um, I was born in the Philippines, but but for this for this festival, I see a lot of, of Asians, not just um, not just Japanese, but uh, all, all the all the different Asian cultures they they all come around I, th- I I really think it centers around the rice we just want to eat that rice I'm, I'm kidding but <laughs> <laughs> it is one thing you can all agree on right right, right. <laughs> but uh, um but I think you know because uh we're there's a similarity at least we're you know our families or, or ourselves have been from that part of the world and then now we're meeting on this part of the world and and we're like hey you know there's there's other people from that side here mm-hmm. How important yeah. is that to have the festival be this this place that is a coming together for a broader Asian community? Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, I, we always hear representation matters. And, and I would say a lot of people within the Asian Pacific Islander community now may have not recognized the importance of that. And now it's being, you know, it's in the mainstream, but you're actually seeing that. So when you were seeing the movies and for me, you know, Nashville is a city of festivals, 
right? We have mm-hmm. festivals all the time. Um, and I think the National Cherry Blossom Festival has a very special space for Asian Pacific Islanders to come out and celebrate one another. I mean, if you look at the vendors, you know, the Lao Baptist Church has been part of the festival since the beginning. And, and you'll see a trend. There are many people, once you become part of the National Cherry Blossom Festival family, you stay. <laughs> and, you know, for them, like, it's a celebration for them and their, you know, and their their own culture and what they bring. And they get to infuse it, right, like, with, with like, celebrating Japanese culture. So I think that's so important for all of us. Um, just like, yeah. you know, Erin was talking about, we might have history and things might have happened in the past. But how do we move forward together? How do we find things that we can, you know, actually connect with and celebrate with and bring a more unified, you know, community? Uh, in terms of those this other groups that are coming in and, and being vendors or setting up those or activities or whatever, how do you strike that balance between uh, sharing kind of the broader Asian cultures and make sure this is a Japanese festival? Yeah, I think for us, you know, when we first started, I think we were, you know, open. We wanted people to just be part of the festival. And I think how we've balanced it is, you know, we want to make sure um, that you are doing, you know, that Japan is centered. So, you know, for our food vendors, if you can have a Japanese inspired, you know, like dish, um, you know, that maybe, you know, with your business, how do you blend that? Right. And you'll see yakisoba, you'll see onigiri. And then you'll see, you know, I saw, excuse me, for steaming goats. They had like Japanese inspired sandwiches. So it's things like that that I think is really critical. You'll see, um, you know, in the Ginza marketplace, we want Japanese, you know, inspired or Japanese items. So I think that's where you strike that balance. I mean, we have the National Tree Foundation, uh, which y'all talk to um, soon, but the cherry trees. And, you know, we get to center, you know, those types of things that still connect back to Japan. So I think that's the how we strike that balance. So Erwin, when your martial arts demonstration is over... And you can just be an attendee at the festival. (laughs) What is your favorite thing to hit up? Uh, I try to get to the food. Um, That's what we were just talking outside right before the interview. Uh, uh, As an MC for the for the smaller stage, I don't get to break away as much and uh, to to get food. And by the time I I want to eat, or by the time things die down where I can get something to eat, uh, most of the food is is gone. So uh, Uh, yeah. What what is what is that dish that you're like? Oh, if I can get that, I want. If the other things are sold out, they sell out. But that's the one thing I've got to make sure I get that. Um, I, I like the uh, the um, the uh, octopus. The um, uh, I forget what it's called. Takoyaki. Uh, takoyaki. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love takoyaki. Yeah. Takoyaki. That's delicious. Um, Terry, what should people look forward to about this year's festival? Oh my goodness. I mean, it's once again still reemergence, right? I know, like. You know, we're still on COVID, but getting to come out together and be together in person, um, you know, this is kind of like another year. And so I want people to get excited that and know it's not just family friendly, but pet friendly. So bring your pets, have them dress up in pink and be part of the, you know, pets in pink parade. So we're going to have that. Get excited about that. And I do want to make sure um, that people have a parking plan um, and, you know, please visit our website. But there's lots of garages and we have a complimentary shuttle. So think about it. Carpool, you know, walk, bike. We'll have a bike valet. And then we go has, you know, a park and ride plan. Everything is on our website. Um, I know you're going to tell, um, share that with them. Um, and to me, a few things, you know, I want people to come and try something that maybe they can't read or they've never had before. You know, go to the lecture series. The list is amazing. You know, there's the Koto 
which I love. I wish I would have learned this instrument when I lived in Japan. Ikebana is flower arrangement, and we are, you know, in the thick of spring. Um, and just learning about U.S.-Japan relations. So there's so many great things in the lecture series. So take time and, you know, take your time. Don't rush and really be present. I think that's one thing about the Cherry Blossom Festival and about cherry trees that maybe people don't understand. Why is it so important? Cherry trees are so beauty. No one, you know, doubts that. But it's the recognition of its impermanence. And that's why. So when you look at the cherry trees, you know, it's about being fully in, you know, in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I really wish that for everyone who comes this weekend. Well, Terry Vo is on the board of the Cherry Blossom Festival and the MC of this year's event. Erwin Rickefort is with the Dojo of Nashville. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. After the break, we'll talk more about the cherry trees themselves and how hundreds of them ended up being planted in here in Nashville. What does seeing the cherry blossoms mean to you? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. And to keep with the theme, we're going out on Cherry Blossom by Rubble Bucket. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. When I moved into my house nearly 20 years ago, the front yard was blank, just grass. I wanted a tree. My husband wasn't sure. And then in our first year or so there, Relief Nashville held a tree planting event in our neighborhood. And one of the options, flowering cherry trees. I talked him into getting one, and now every spring he gets so excited about those blossoms, right along with me. I mean, they're gorgeous, and there's something about them that makes you want to get outside and just be under them. We're hardly alone in this city. Nashville streets lined with the flowering trees have become special community markers of spring. Along Riverside Drive in East Nashville, that's largely thanks to the efforts of Anthony Viglietti, who joins me now. And Becca Morris helps spread the joy of cherry trees through her work with the Nashville Tree Foundation. Thanks to you both for joining us and welcome to This is Nashville. No, thank you. Thank you for having us. Anthony, tell me about the plantings on Riverside Drive. I understand the history goes back quite a ways. It does. It started when a group of uh, citizens in 1933, dedicated Riverside Drive as a, a living memorial to our war heroes. At that time, we were just thinking about the First World War that we just came out of. 
and uh, the wife of Dr. Rufus E. Fort, uh, Chancellor James Kirkland, and other garden clubs got together to make this happen. So that was the beginning of dedicating the road for our war heroes. And at one time, believe it or not, the entire length of Riverside Drive was covered with irises. Mm. State then, flower, yeah. Yes. And, you know, it's the state flower. And so over the waning years, the 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 road just went in disrepair. Uh, people were using it as a way to throw their trash, their couches, chairs, TVs, you name it, it was there. Their old tax records, they would throw <laughs> it. Can you believe that? Tax records in the median on Riverside Drive. But um, in 1959, then uh, CO Faircloth and other garden clubs of Inglewood and the community came together to rededicate Riverside Drive as a living memorial to our war heroes, which then included the Second World War, the uh, police action in Korea, and then Vietnam, which began in the 60s. And I was living in Inglewood at the, I mean, uh, Green Hills at the time, and I moved to Inglewood in 1986. And I said to myself when I made that move, there is no reason why Riverside Drive cannot look drop-dead gorgeous like Bellamy Boulevard. And so in my mind, I'm saying I'm going to make this happen. And given that this was a memorial, a living memorial to our war heroes, then the first thing that popped in my mind was the cherry trees. And it, well, well, tell me about that. Why, why cherry trees? Well, it has to do with the blossom and what it means as a metaphor for the fragility of life. Mm. I mean, no one knows this more than the Japanese. And I think I, when I went to Tokyo in 86, I got that feel of the passion and reverence for the cherry tree. From one end of Japan to the northern end, it is cared for, reverenced, and the blossom tells the story of how fragile this life is. And as you know, we have just been through a very real picture of the fragility of life. We certainly have. And the blossom, the cherry blossom, embodies that. Our place in this world and our life. It's a really strong metaphorical value to oh, these trees then. You cannot believe it. You, <laughs> The Japanese, they will go and dig up roots to old cherry trees and graft new roots just to preserve that tree. Well, there's all of this incredible meaning on a very human level. On an ecological level, Becca, what do these small flowering trees do for Nashville's canopy? 
Not only are they incredibly beautiful and have such an amazing symbol, but they are supporting the health of Nashville. The trees are there to help us breathe, to protect our environment. And the Nashville Tree Foundation is here to help people plant trees, to support them in preserving the trees that they already have, and also to support the community as we learn more about what trees really do bring to our environment here in Nashville. And I can certainly see in my own yard, the bees find them very valuable. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we love we love our pollinating uh, trees right. for sure. Absolutely. Anthony, what's the reaction been like in your community since the cherry blossoms became this annual feature? Well... <laughs> I tell you what, it has certainly changed the character of Riverside Drive. There seems to be a respect for the road now because of the cherry trees. And um, uh, the neighbors, you know, I get emails and said, they're so beautiful, they're gorgeous. And they uh, really do enjoy the drive. And people will just drive from one end to the other end and come back on the other side uh, of the road and just make it a a day trip, so to speak. Yeah, there's nothing quite like just that solid continuum yes. of just blossoms over your head. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm Nina Cardona in for your host, Khalil Ecolona. We're talking this hour about one of the most beautiful and meaningful signs of spring, which is the cherry blossom. Terry Vo from the Nashville Cherry Blossom Festival is still with us. Terry we heard a little bit about these trees playing such a special role in Japanese culture. What more can you tell us about just how important they really are to the, the kind of the Japanese mindset? Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I would say what's so important is, you know, the, the cherry trees were a gift, you know, from Japan to the U.S. in 1912. You know, now we are celebrating 110 years, right, of this, like, relationship. And so now I love it because when the consulate moved to, you know, Nashville, Consul General Sato wanted to do the same with Japan and Tennessee. And so they had an initiative to plant a thousand cherry trees over 10 years. And yes, it's been 10 years. Um, and we were able to do that. And I think that was so important because just like, um, you know, Anthony was talking about when you're planting the trees and when you're, you know, watching them grow, you care about where you live. You, you you have respect for it. And I think that's so important. And one thing that I think um, we often don't talk about, but when I was living in Japan, hanami is very, very important. So during the springtime, you know, whenever the trees are in bloom, you go and have a picnic with your friends, with your coworkers, you know, with your kids, all of that. And you sit under the cherry tree. And I think that's something to me, the richness of, you know, Japanese culture and um, honoring, right? Like, um, you know, the earth and the trees, you know, it's so important um, to to stop and, and to enjoy that. Is it that time that friends just have this really simple and pure time of friendship together under the trees? Is that why they've become so important to expressing friendship from Japan to other countries? Yes, I definitely think so. And, you know, for... Um, you know, an organization here that I'm part of, you know, Music City Jetta, they have continued the tradition, right? These are individuals who worked in Japan on the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program, and they bring this tradition. And, you know, of course, friends and family can participate. And I think it's so important. So it's not just friends, but it brings people together. And I think it's a form of, you know, like sharing something that you've learned from another culture and, um, and educating one another. 
So if people are sold on cherry trees now, Becca, (laughs) (laughs) how can they get one? Yeah, so we have been partnering with the Cherry Blossom Festival since its inception um, to hand out cherry trees. And this year, we are so excited to be giving out 150 three-gallon cherry trees. Um, The significance in that is in the past, we have been doing seedlings and smaller trees, and we really wanted to provide something more sustaining to the community. So these three-gallon trees are going to have a much larger and better chance of survival. Um, We will be at the Cherry Blossom Festival talking more about these trees. Um, You can register um, at the festival to get one of those trees. I definitely encourage you to get there early. Um, Already getting phone calls about it. Um, And then we also will be there to provide you all the necessary tools that you need to understand the importance of following the rules of planting, but then also making sure that you're doing everything that you can to maintain your tree. Well, um, so what are some of the tips that you would have for somebody who who gets that cherry tree from you or from elsewhere? Step one, you're going to get a little dirty. So you have to be okay with that. Um, And we will work with you. So if you're not quite sure where you want to place that in your yard or where would be the best place, you can always call us and we can support you with that. Um, The most important piece is making sure that you're going to dig a significant sized hole. You want to make sure that you have enough space for that root ball, but also about two inches wider than that root ball on both sides. That's going to make sure that those roots are going to have all the space they need to do the growth that we want to happen in that first year. Um, Then the other big piece that can sometimes be um, hard to understand is once we get out of the container that it's in, you actually need to rough up the roots. They can get very constricted in that container. What I always think about is petting my dog. So you really want to get in there and really give them the scratches that they need. Mm -hmm. So you want to break up those roots um, at least about a half inch deep into those roots. And then you want to place that uh, tree into that hole. Um, And then the other important piece on that is just making sure that you're holding onto that root ball and not the trunk. We want to fill that hole. And then we want to make sure that we protect that tree while it's doing everything it needs to grow. So with that, you want to make sure you're using mulch. Um, And again, another tip here is we never want to have a volcano. We want to have a bagel. So you want to make sure you have enough room um, so that that root is, um, that trunk is open and not covered with mulch. Um, And then, of course, we'll walk you through all the maintenance as well. Terry, after... All of your work with the consulate and the Cherry Blossom Festival, when you see these trees blooming out in the neighborhoods, what what do they mean to you? Oh, my goodness. Well, I will tell you, I'm so thankful to Becca and the National Tree Foundation because my cherry tree, my Yoshino cherry, is from the festival, and it um, is four years old now. And this year, it finally, like, had a true, like, big bloom. So for me, you know, the cherry trees, um, you know, are worth waiting for, Right. Like that first, I, I remember like the first couple of years, I'm like, oh my gosh, I only have like a few petals, you know? And, but now they are just, I mean, just showing off. And so for me, the cherry trees, um, you know, I talked about it earlier, but I think it just um, is so important. There's a Japanese saying, uh, you know, Ichigo Ichie. And it means like, you know, it, you know, this one time. And sometimes, you know, when I think about the cherry trees, when I look at them, I'm enjoying them in that one time because when it rains, when it, you know, the wind blows, they'll look different. Terry Vo is on the board of the Cherry Blossom Festival. Becca Morris is with the Nashville Tree Foundation. And Anthony Vigletti leads community planting efforts on East Nashville's Riverside Drive. Thank you all for being here.
And it's Friday. That means it's time for This is Nashville host Khalil Ekulona to take a ride with a fellow Middle Tennessean. For this ride, he met up with Austin Lowen, a horticulturist who works at Bates Nursery and Garden Center. They hopped into Austin's truck, rolled down the windows, and rode around to see the dense forests around White's Creek. Buckle up and enjoy. There's got to be something really enjoyable about the work because, you know, since the pandemic, a lot of people are like, I'll take a time to be with nature. Exactly. Well, every day you work with nature. <laughs> That's right. And your hands are on it. Like I was just commenting of how peaceful it felt just to sit in the nursery and the smells yeah. and a few of the sounds. Oh, I love it. It is a lot of work. I mean, it is physical. I do not have to go to a gym ever. Yeah. I mean, I get my steps in, I get my lifting in every single day at work. So it's very hard work, but at the same time, like you said, I mean, it is no more just peace you get from being around plants. I, you know, I don't think. Yeah. I may get my facts wrong here, but I've heard about the root network system of trees and that's partially how they communicate. This is fairly, really deep, actually. Okay. There could be potentially signals that trees give off to other trees. That is so beyond though, from what I can comprehend, it's been deeply studied, but I can't, I, my brain doesn't wrap around that for some reason. I mean, definitely underneath the ground, there's this whole network of mainly fungi okay. that is like doing all sorts of stuff below the surface that you never even knew happened. But to say that trees can kind of respond and talk to each other or whatever, I'm still on the fence about. Okay. Let's say that. I mean, that'd be cool if they did. It would. You know, I mean, they're hundreds of years old. Imagine the gossip. I know. Right? They know everything that's been going on around here. <laughs> I did hear about the fungi that are doing that. I mean, if it weren't for that fungi, we wouldn't have this rich plant life that we do, huh? No, no. I mean, they're totally symbiotic. Okay. Totally. And honestly, fungi is a whole different realm. Fungi, I'm pretty sure, is more closely related to, like, animals than it is plants. Wow. Like, they're actually very, very different in, in what they do. Okay. Just speak to me of love. Your wildest tree experience, one that you will never forget. Oh God, wildest tree experience. You know, trees don't do much really besides sway in the breeze. Um, you ever have one almost fall on you? No, but I did not too long ago see a tree fall naturally. Oh wow. It just happened organically. Were you it out was, in the forest and it made a sound well, with all that? Well, my yard is pretty much in the forest. I live back off in the woods, so I mean, on five acres, so I've got trees absolutely everywhere. Doing nothing but just hanging out in the yard. I had just gotten home, I think I cracked a beer, and I was just looking out into nature, and all of a sudden I heard this loud crack. And I'm like, what was that? Look over, and I immediately, I mean, massive tree in the woods from the, you know, from start to finish, fall down and just crash in the woods. the debris and the limbs that it took down with it. It was an epic experience. Wow. Just right in front of me. Just That really did happen. This wasn't but a few weeks ago. When's the last time you climbed a tree? You know, not as long as you'd think it'd be. This past year, I went to a person's house to do a video on how to prune a peach tree. 
and I got a little wild, and I got up in her peach tree to prune it. So okay. it's been less than a year ago since I've climbed a tree. Nice. <laughs> nice. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a while since I climbed trees that used to be a pastime <laughs> yeah. of mine. bought a little palm tree. Yeah. I named him Clarence. <laughs> okay, I like it. I got three cats, uh -huh. and they're nice to Clarence. You know, when I was looking at upkeep and care, it says it needs sunlight, but not a whole bunch of direct sunlight. Yeah. You know, I get pretty good sunlight in the morning. Uh, my house is north-facing, uh -huh. so he's in a nice area in the living room. And they say make sure that when you feel the top inch of soil dry, give it some more water. My question is, Am I giving them too much water? <laughs> almost everybody does. I will say that. Houseplants, okay. almost everybody overwaters them. Um, and, you know, the whole top inch of the soil thing, that is bogus if you ask me. Like, any, you know, just because it's dry at the first inch of the top of the pot, that means nothing. It does not mean that it's not, that it's wet way down below. Gotcha. What I try to let people know is that let your plant tell you when it's dry more so. Like, you, you watch it. You look at it every day. Whenever you see a perfect green, upright looking plant, then just enjoy it and look at it. Okay. Whenever you come back the next day and you see that that plant looks a little bit different, you know, or like it's been a week later and you're like, okay, that plant looks a little bit different. Maybe it's just off color a little bit, or maybe it's it's drooping on me a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's a sign that you need to do something. Okay. If they don't give you those signs and they're just chilling and green and looking good, then yeah. they're, they got what they need. They're happy. Okay. Less is way more with plants. Less is more. All right, so one, I shouldn't fret as much. Exactly. Two, That's I the biggest gig. Don't worry so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I just want to make sure he's happy. Exactly. You I know? get it. A plant can go way drier than you ever thought it could before it actually dies. Okay. Now, if we were talking about some specific plants that really can't go dry or they go crispy pretty quick, I would tell you that. But a palm is not that plant. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to strawberry Riding Shotgun is supported by Xander Insurance. Thanks for tuning in this hour. Monday, we'll talk with local pastors about how our Christian communities are processing the covenant shooting. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Rose Gilbert. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Yurina Yoshikawa. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you Monday, everybody.